When we've put in effort to solve a problem, we want our solution, decision, or agreement to have every chance at long-run success, right? Here's a powerful way to improve our plan's ability to stand the test of time. Go back to the future and test it with a pre-mortem. Welcome to The Space Between, a podcast about getting better results from our most difficult and important conversations. The Space Between refers to the figurative terrain between them and us, between where we are and where we want to be, maybe even between who we are and who we want to be when we're in a difficult conversation. I'm your host, Dr. Tammy Lenski, and for over two decades, I've been helping people design conversations that sort out conflict and tension in high-priority relationships at work and home. And this episode is titled, Go Back to the Future to Discover How Your Agreement Could Fail. In traditional problem solving, we learn to look ahead and consider the ramifications of our plan. What could go wrong? What will probably go right? How can we fail-proof the agreement or solution we've just worked so hard to craft? Considering how our agreement will survive the future is just plain smart, if our goal isn't just agreement, but an agreement that really works over time. And here's something else that's smart. Future-proofing, in a way that increases the chance, will do it well. It's called a pre-mortem, and it uses the idea of prospective hindsight. The typical way to look ahead is to use foresight, to stay in the present and try to imagine what might go wrong down the road. But if we tweak that approach and replace foresight with prospective hindsight, we get better results. The researchers whose work ultimately led to the idea of a pre-mortem defined prospective hindsight this way, quote, Prospective hindsight involves generating an explanation for a future event as if it had already happened, i.e., one goes forward in time and then looks back, end quote. So instead of standing in the present and asking what could go wrong, we mentally stand in the future and ask what did go wrong. Why does this work better? Well, one reason may be the time shift in perspective. The cognitive flip from present looking forward to future looking back seems to help us more successfully identify places our agreement, decision, solution, or project could fail. Nobel laureate Daniel Kahneman, whose best-selling book, Thinking Fast and Slow, helped make the pre-mortem idea well-known, identifies two more reasons. It helps overcome the groupthink that can take over once a decision appears to have been made, and it helps prevent the suppression of doubt. Says Kahneman, quote, as a team converges on a decision, and especially when the leader tips her hand, public doubts about the wisdom of the planned move are gradually suppressed and eventually come to be treated as evidence of flawed loyalty to the team and its leaders. The suppression of doubt contributes to overconfidence in a group where only supporters of the decision have a voice. The main virtue of the premortem is that it legitimizes doubts. Conducting a premortem. Cognitive researcher Gary Klein, who coined the term premortem, says, quote, the premortem operates on the assumption that the patient has died and so asks, what did go wrong? End quote. The general process is pretty straightforward. One, I usually introduce it like this. It's a year from now, and you're looking back on this day and shaking your head in regret because the decision you reached here was a spectacular failure. That's Klein's phrase. 
what are all the plausible reasons it failed? Two, ask everyone to work on their own for a few minutes, writing down every reason they can imagine for the failure. Particularly encourage things they hadn't originally said out loud for fear of being impolitic or seen as uncooperative. An alternative approach, by the way, is to ask people to write the story of the failure instead of make a list. Sometimes the idea of telling a story frees the mind differently than list making. Three, when I'm working with a pair, business partners, for example, or maybe a couple, I invite each to take turns sharing items on their list while I record them on a flip chart or whiteboard. I take care to reframe any accusatory language into terms that capture the failure reason without inflaming the situation. Four, when I'm working with a team, I ask each person to read aloud one reason from their list, and we go around the room that way until I've recorded all the reasons on a flip chart or whiteboard. With a larger group, like a team, another approach is to split the group in two. One works on the reasons the decision failed, the other on why it succeeded. Five, then begin working through the list, using the items to strengthen the agreement and prevent the pitfalls. A few important tips to keep in mind. The pre-mortem should take place when you've almost reached an agreement or decision, but haven't yet formally committed yourself to it. You want enough detail fleshed out to have a solid decision to look back on, but not have it fine-tuned so carefully you've inadvertently started to feel committed to it. Make sure that everyone who is knowledgeable about the decision is present. In business settings, I haven't found the word pre-mortem particularly problematic. I have found, though, that in some personal settings, such as working with a family, the word sometimes makes people feel uncomfortable, right? It may be because it invokes autopsy. So I will often skip using the label and just describe the activity. Sometimes it's useful to conduct the pre-mortem at a separate time from drafting of the initial plan or agreement. If people are tired, I'd rather they have some energy for the activity because otherwise they may attempt to just gloss over the process just to get things over with. That's not the goal here, to do something for the sake of doing it. The goal is a decision, plan, or agreement that has a better chance of standing the test of time. If you're worried the pre-mortem will raise the conflict's heat again, well, it could, though I find it rarely does. But that's not a good enough reason to skip it. Fear of making things uncomfortable is a very unfortunate reason for going forward with a decision that hasn't been adequately vetted. And last, if you're a mediator and find yourself hesitating about premortems in general or a specific premortem, it may be time for a look inward. What is motivating your hesitation? I know that sometimes an almost done agreement is very seductive to a tired or tested mediator, and we need to push ourselves to fully do our jobs and ask the question that could unravel parts or all of the agreement. Better for it to unravel while we're still sitting there, than later when we're not. Thanks so much for listening. Transcripts from podcast episodes are available at no cost to my subscribers, who receive an email each time one is available. Visit lenski.com slash subscribe. That's L-E-N as in negotiation, S-K-I dot com slash subscribe.